fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome into the program. You ever watch one of those videos where you just, you cringe? You cringe, not, not political or anything, just... You cringe. It's almost like those funniest home videos or other very awkward videos to where you watch and you just, you know, it's going to hurt and you like want to turn away because it's very painful, but at the same time, you can't stop watching. I saw that. Why did I watch that right before we go on the air? I don't know. There was a video on Facebook of these gals, probably teenagers, young teenagers, 13, 14, 15 years old. They were at a mall, I'm guessing. And the escalator had like the moving handhold and they were trying to hold on to the handheld part on the side of the escalator not on the escalator but on the side and then going up and then they would drop off well one gal apparently rode it a little bit too high and then started freaking out because how do you stop holding on to it when you get to the top and you can't drop down because you're too far up at the top and you just wonder how are you going to break a leg today man (laughs) All right, we've all been there. We've all been there. I've done that myself. Not that specifically, but I've done stupid things like that too. Welcome into the show. It's a post Monday celebration. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome aboard your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. We have so much to talk about, as usual. Karen England, a new guest on the program today. She's the president of the Capital Resource Institute. We're going to talk about parents, their involvement in the education system, how can they get involved in the education system, and are we doing it enough to actually rein in the education curriculum and the standards of our public education across the nation. They also have released their book check toolkit. What is that? We'll talk about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. We have some presidential announcements going on today, although we're not going to focus a lot of time on that. Why? Because we're a year and a half away from presidential election season, and I really don't want to focus a lot of our time on that as of right now. The most important thing today, that's a Tuesday, that is June 6th, is that we are in the 79th, today, the 79th memorial of D-Day in our What's Trending. So... With that being said, what's trending today? I think we ought to spend a little bit of time on that today. What do you say? Because I think it's more relevant today than ever before because we have cycles that we go through in society, just in general as humanity. And are we getting close to having to worry about something like this all over again with the U.S.'s involvement in World War II after the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor and then our involvement with D-Day, really our launch into World War II as we ended up landing on the beaches of Normandy and the beach of Omaha and other places as well during that operation. 73,000 United States troops landing on the Normandy beach today, June 6, 1944. 83,000 coming from Britain and Canada with a total of 160,000 troops going up against 50,000 German forces, one of the largest battles and the largest sea-to-land battle in the history of humanity. Thousands of individuals dying, and all what for? 
What for? As we have a generation today, my generation especially, outside of the ones that have actually seen action, that have actually signed up for the military and has seen combat and knows what the rest of the world looks like and knows the ugliness of the rest of the world, the bigger question on the grander scheme in society today, especially in the United States, where we live our very comfy, cushy lives and like to complain about everything, apparently, is do we remember why we fought that war? And are we living the tradition of holding up the values of what they fought for and died for on the beaches of Normandy and the beach of Omaha and other places in World War II? Not just that D-Day, but the entire World War. Are we holding up the values and defending what they fought for and died for at the age of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm telling you, there's a vast difference on the mentality between 18-year-olds back in the day and 18-year-olds today. There's a vast difference between 30-years-olds back in the day and 30-year-olds today. There's a vast difference between how we live our life and the mindset of what they're in because we, for some reason in our society, thanks to many Democrats, I could say, many progressives, is that we like to extend adolescence to where we like to be children longer and longer and longer. In fact, my generation says that they don't even consider themselves an adult until the age of 30, being the millennials. I'm 34 now, so apparently I've only been an adult for four years. Hey, everybody, I've I've only been an adult for four years. Yeah. Why? Because we continue to extend adolescence on some issues. And on other issues, we like to uh, bring it up even younger. But one individual, a veteran from World War II, that still has that mentality of a 16-year-old who went to battle at 16 years old, sat on Newsmax earlier today talking about his experience and what it all meant to him. What I'm thinking about today is, does the history of this particular incident bear well in the teachings that we give our children in high school, uh, even college age? Uh, We put 16 million in uniform. We had 130 million people in the United States, 12.5% of our population. On this particular day, the planning for this was a year, year and a half. They had a rehearsal in April of that same year. If you see the movie Saving Private Ryan, you will get some indication of what it is like to come out of a flat-bottom boat, a Higgins boat, where they drop the front and you storm out on the beach. And on that very first wave, almost 90 plus percent of those guys did not cut it, did not make it. Adjacent to Omaha Beach was Pont du Hoc, rises up in the air 100 feet, a flat cliff. And 250 rangers attached that on that given day. And at the end of that day, only 90 were left that could stand at attention or draw their arms. And that's what it means, the memory of all this, that we were a united country and we were patriotic uh, to the nth degree. And we charged that beach with American soldiers, British soldiers, and Canadian soldiers. The largest uh, invasion of its kind in history, a sea land invasion. And uh, we lost all together on that first day, a combination of uh, all the uh, military, we lost 9,000. Now, at the end of the war, we lost 440,000. What is left is our memory. And there are too few of us alive at my age. I, I was only 16. I was, uh, when the war ended, four days later, I turned 17. 
Wow. That audio from Newsmax, that was Dave Yoho. He was a gold medal recipient. And I could listen. I know it was a little bit of a long audio. I could listen to those stories for hours. Honestly, I could listen to what they've gone through and the wisdom, the experience, the stories that they have to tell if they're willing to tell them can be an eye-opener for so many. I've said this many times on the program before, but no longer in society do the younger generations listen to the elders in their community, in their quote-unquote tribe, to gain the wisdom and knowledge. I love using the Native Americans for an, ex- uh, for an example of listening to the storytellers, the storytellers of their day telling the story to teach a lesson and to open the eyes of the younger generation to what may be out there to hopefully evolve. And you still have to experience things on your own to learn about them firsthand sometimes, but you can also have a foundation of an understanding as opposed to what we seem to be doing now is trying to reinvent the wheel every single time because we're too stupid to stop and listen, which I think is a problem. We have an information wave of you could Google anything that you want to, but what we're lacking severely right now is wisdom to try and put that into context and understand it. But this generation, they had it. They always call it the greatest generation, and I wholeheartedly believe in that because they were one of the last ones, uh, not the last one by any means, but they were one of the last ones. Imagine, if you will, a 16-year-old dropping that boat and going out there on the flat boat and trying to climb a beach that has a 100-foot-plus straight-up wall as soon as you get on that beach and trying to climb that with bullets shooting at you left and right. That's a scary thought. A 16-year-old. Today, you're not allowed to drive a car if you're 16 years old. (laughs) You're not allowed to drink a beer when you're 16 years old. You're not allowed to smoke a cigarette when you're 16 years old. You're not allowed to even rent a car, let alone drive one. You're not allowed to even go to our movies. You have to go with a parent if you're 17, but you can't even go and watch a movie. These guys were losing limbs left and right. What you can do, according to today's times when you're 16 years old, is you can almost vote, which is what Democrats want you to be able to do at 16 years old. can't do any of the other stuff, but you can vote. You can change your gender if you want to. You can have an abortion without your parental consent in many places. That's what we can do nowadays. But it's hard for us to fight for the nation and have basic rights at 16 years old while these guys had to grow up pretty quick. The extension of the adolescence. Now we can't vote until 18. We can't drink a beer until we're 21. We can't really even drive a car until we're 18 years old. We can't smoke cigarettes now until we're uh, 21. They just extended that one uh, with the FDA, and most states are going along with that now as well. We're extending that adolescence to where if something, God forbid, did happen and the cycle happens, which if you know, uh, there are many people that say that there's a cycle in society that happens about every 80 years. Because it's just enough for the new generations have forgotten what had happened in the past. They don't understand it. They don't experience it. They've never seen it. And therefore, they go down that same path. And we have to relearn history all over again because we have so many kids that are like, history's stupid, man. And then guess what? We end up repeating it. And if this is the 79th anniversary of D-Day, are we on the brink of doing something horrible again on a global front and having to go through this all over again? And if we do... Will the 16-year-olds today be capable of doing what the 16-year-olds did 79 years ago? It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Because I I don't think we can. I think there are some. I think there are some, but I don't know that we're ready. I think we're a little too cushy in the first, uh, first world that we live in here. The first world country of the United States of America. And God bless it because we've created that because of the hard work that we've put into it. But now what do we have in society? We have a generation 
that loves socialism. We have a generation pushing for the democratic socialism, the exact same thing that we fought in World War II with the launching of D-Day, with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and with the bringing down of the Nazi socialist regime. Yes, I said the Nazi social, not the Nazi Trump fascist right-wing regime, because fascism is on the other side as well. It's the Nazi socialist regime from Hitler running under the Socialist Party of Germany. And this individual, this Dave Yoho on Newsmax earlier today, had a message for those as well, trying to scream at the top of his lungs to remind us what it was all about. When you see others and you talk of this day and you talk of what you hear here, Mm -hmm. then ask them to remember that we gave up our yesterdays for their tomorrows. And when they say, who said these words that you remember, tell them it was a 16-year-old boy inside of this 95-year-old veteran that does remember. That'll make you tear up a little bit, won't it? That again was Dave Yoho, a gold medal recipient that was on Newsmax earlier today. That'll make you tear up, remembering what they, the, the, the entire different world. And now the ones that are out there screaming about pronouns that make them feel uncomfortable... The ones that say that they don't have health care being taken care of through the government. The ones that say that should come out of college making $200,000 just because they have a degree and they showed up and just automatically start right at the top of the tier. They're the ones that I think have forgotten this message and they're going to have a rude awakening if we continue to go down that road and we don't course correct here pretty quickly. We don't change something here pretty quickly, but there is some good news. Not to leave you on a somber note, there is some good news, a positive end of the aisle because we're always the eternal optimist and we see the positive things happening left and right. We'll do some of that when we come back here on The Voice Reason. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When you see others and you talk of this day and you talk of what you hear here, then ask them to remember that we gave up our yesterdays for their tomorrows. And when they say, who said these words that you remember, tell them it was a 16-year-old boy inside of this 95-year-old veteran that does remember. Man, I think that's one of my new favorite clips that we have, new audio. We're going to save that one, put it in the archives, because that's one of the best messages I think we could have on a day like today, especially for a day like today on D-Day. Welcome back into the program, 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, wherever you may be. So here's the optimistic part of the day. As we look at the 16-year-olds back then who were getting blown up literally because, guess what, they had to jump into adulthood pretty darn quickly, didn't they? Compared to the 16-year-olds today that are upset because they can't get their latte inside the avocado. <laughs> no, that's a real thing, too. Hold on. Need some water for a second. Uh, that's the real world today, too, isn't it? They don't have their uh, avocado latte at Starbucks. And therefore, uh, how dear the world is coming to an end. While, at the same time, they promote that concept of socialism. We want socialism. We want government to take over 
the industries. We want government to take over the private sector. We don't like capitalism, but I'm going to talk about how bad capitalism is by tweeting about it on my iPhone while I'm sitting at Starbucks having my avocado latte. Why? Because of the greatness of capitalism that allows you to have that. But here's the good news of the day. Is that, as you know, we've watched and followed some of the polls over the last few years between the millennial generation especially and the young and up-and-coming generations and their view of capitalism versus socialism. And obviously, the later generations are more supportive of capitalism because they've seen how great it is and they support it compared to the younger generations that have been kind of leaning towards the socialist movement. And if we breach that 50% down the road, just like those on food stamps, once we breach that 50% of voters, registered voters in the nation supporting socialism, it's done. We can't do anything about it. We can't get it back once it's all said and done. But here's the good news. According to the Pew Research Society, this uh, poll as of September 19th of last year, 2022, they say that the number of people supporting socialism has gone down in the nation. According to the Pew Research, 36% of U.S. adults say that they support socialism in total, with 30% saying somewhat or very positively, total of 36%, down from 42 that we saw in May of 2019, just three years prior. What's changed? Wait a second. Hold on. What's changed? 2019, we have 42% of Americans, according to the Pew Research, saying they love the idea of socialism. Now, again, they could be like, Andy, socialism's not bad. You don't remember, remember, socialism's literally what we fought against in World War II. We fought against the fascist Mussolini in Italy. We fought against the socialists in Germany with the Nazis. We fought against that mentality of big government, tyrannical government, opposing its will on the people, silencing its people, killing its people, uh, government-run education, Uh, getting rid of the Second Amendment and self-protection, getting rid of the voice of the people in the government because the the deep state, the elitist, whatever you want to call them, they're the ones that were controlling, and that's what they were going for, global domination through usurping of a government power and large entity controlling the masses. Remember, the Germans loved it when we hit a recession. Germans loved it. Hitler, when he came in with his socialist policies, we're going to take over the private industry. We're going to start making stuff for the state. The people are going to work for the government. We're going to mass produce for the government. Everything's going to be wonderful. And the economy took off temporarily. Why? Because they created the bubble. They love the idea. As opposed to us, the capitalists, where we said, watch this. Once we finally had to get involved in it, we had to drop everything we were doing. And we mass produced way more than they ever could because of the society that we were in. Although, it was tough for us as well, but that's what got us out of the Great uh, Great Depression. 36% down from 42%. Why? We can speculate on that. We've had three years from 2019 to 2022, now four years. What happened during that time? Oh, yeah, that's right. COVID hit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Government control hit. That's right. Government told businesses what to do and what you should do. And people didn't like it too much. And the support for socialism kind of tanked a little bit, didn't with it? Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. We'll get back to our D-Day discussion here in just a little bit. Also, our poll of a decrease in those that support, quote-unquote, socialism in the nation. Fascinating. From 2019 to 2022, the support has gone down. (laughs) 
what happened during that time. I don't know. We'll discuss that here in just a little bit. want to get into a little bit different conversation, kind of, as we talk about D-Day, we talk about socialism, we talk about the fight against a certain ideology. What does that ideology represent? What do they do? Oh, I don't know. They just centralize everything, don't they? They centralize the banking institution. They centralize the finances. They centralize the healthcare industry. They centralize the education industry. They centralize manufacturing, distribution, the means of production. I, I've used this a lot, but remember, go to Google and then go and get a Merriam-Webster's dictionary that was made, I don't know, like 15 years ago, and look at the definition of socialism and what it actually says and see the difference there. Major difference on how it's actually worded. I, I didn't know the definition changed, but one of them, the old school way, said that means of distribution and manufacturing was controlled by the government. You Google it today, and it says that the distribution of means of production controlled by the people. Oh, wait, what? What? The, the people. Fascinating conversation. We'll do that here in just a little bit. Want to get into what's trending for the day. What's trending today? And part of that whole centralization of the education system, you can see how all that works working out with uh, the quality of education, the curriculum that we're seeing across the nation right now. Can we push back and what can we do about it? Excited to have on the program is uh, parents, you and I, getting involved in our education system, in our children's education. My daughter, I can't believe it again, going into the fourth grade next year. Good golly. Turning nine, uh, just turned nine last week. Unbelievable how time flies, but we need to be aware because that's kind of the age that things are starting to change a little bit with the education and what they're trying to direct <laughs> as the priorities to talk about some of that and more excited to have on. She is the president of the Capital Resource Institute, which you can find online at capitalresource.org. It's Karen England on the line with us here. Karen, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I am great. It's great to chat with you, and I appreciate you coming on the show. I, n- I never thought that we would have to worry about things being taught in our public education system other than math and reading and writing and in science. But apparently those are like almost the side notes in education today in some aspect, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's so full of everything else, the sexualization of our kids. And that goes for even, even red states. You know, I, uh, we work in Tennessee uh, along with California and I'm shocked at the books that are in the Tennessee public school libraries. Like what? What's what's popped up? Because I remember when I was, I'm 34, so I guess I'm not too terribly outdated from school, but I remember we read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which now has been banned because you can't say that because there's a lot of derogatory remarks in To Kill a Mockingbird. But uh, that was the worst that we had in our school back then, wasn't it? Well, it uh, it was. Well, I, I don't know. I'm I'm older than you, but I also grew up in Boulder, Colorado. So we had some crazy <laughs> It's all right. I spent my time in Bailey, so, Colorado, yeah. so I know right where you're at. Oh, okay. Yeah. So having, having said all of that, um, you know, the To Kill a Mockingbird, we weren't talking about those books, even though there is some language in it. I'm talking about really, really graphic sexual. There's a book, Lawn Boy, graphic rape scenes, The Bluest Eye. Things that young adults are are reading, but they're giving them to 14-year-olds to read. And then the graphic pictures from genderqueer, which I'm not objecting to because of the LGBT component. It's graphic pictures of sexual acts. And it's erotica in the other books. And it is really, really extreme. And you can go to our website, pornandschools.com, and we've got a lot of the excerpts from some of the most um, frequently found 
books in the public schools. And most of these books that we've been objecting to, I'm finding throughout Tennessee. I mean, it's really graphic stuff. Wow. Uh, the grand question is from the 30,000 foot view before we move into some of the details is why, why, why go down and write these books on extreme graphic, explicit content and then share it to 13, 14, 15 year olds when that is the time when most of the children are having the hardest time because they're just beginning to do their development. The hormones are going crazy for both boys and girls. That's like the toughest time in the world for a child. And then reading that, I'm sure it's not coincidence in any way, shape, or form, but why? Yeah, well, I, I will share. It, it, it is an agenda, and it is the sexualization of our kids. And, again, it's just a real competing worldview. Um, looking at uh, a lot of these books, some of them, they're just totally inappropriate for kids and might be good for an adult to read. I'll give you an example. The Glass Castle um, is, is a story, and I was having dinner with my daughter-in-law. She's like, oh, I read that. And I'm like, oh, you did in high school? And she goes, no, I was 34. She's like, this gal lived a really rough life. And, and it describes it. And, and they're giving these books to our minor children. I want to also talk, you, you mentioned your daughter in fourth grade. There's a book that we've just uncovered called The Bathhouse, which, again, should tell you something. Uh, they are selling it, it's in a lot of schools, as a culturally appropriate book for the Asian culture. Well, what it is, is lots of, uh, lots of pictures in the story of male, female, older, younger family members in big pools together naked, and it's the naked pictures. Now, culturally, that may be something they do in the Asian cultures, don't really know, but I don't think my kindergartner needs to be seeing pictures of adult children, I mean, of adults, along with children, everyone bathing in a big bathtub together. That is the wrong message. That sends a real message of desensitizing and of grooming our kids to tell them that's okay and normal. And those are the kinds of things that are going on. Um, I would I would challenge your, your, I haven't found a school district yet that does not have one of the top band, bad um, graphic books in them. I've, I've not found one yet. That's very concerning. Now, like you said, with the bathhouse, I mean, if that is something that a culture does, cool, let's learn about it when we're learning about different cultures in high school or a, a higher education as we learn about how different cultures operate, which then, okay, you know what, it's not in the mindset, like you said, of a sexualization or trying to normalize something, but it's just yeah. these how this, is, this group of individuals in this part of the world operate, and therefore it shouldn't be weird to them as it is weird to us. But uh, teaching it at such a young age, they're not teaching about the other parts of the culture in the Asian well, uh, culture at that time, are they? Absolutely. And ki kindergarten through five, you're not even grasping that, you know, culture, all of that. What you see are these naked people. And in America, when adults bathe naked with children, we call that sex abuse. And so, again, it's the desensitizing to where a child is going to look at that and they're being told that's normal. That isn't normal in America for us to do. It is not okay and normal for adults to be bathing with minors. And the minute you start to, um, you know, we put some stuff up on Instagram about this book, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're called haters and that we hate the Asian culture. No. Yeah. Like you said, let's teach about cultures when we're talking about cultures. And I, I still don't know that that's the most important thing with the Asian culture, is that they all bathe together naked. Um, but t 
to be teaching that to minor children, again, it just shows that they want to desensitize our kids to these things that are of a sexual nature, just like the drag queen story hours and, and everything that they're doing. Yeah, It is all you know, intentional. Well, and it's very strange because like you said, when you start to push back, then all of a sudden you're the oppressor by not allowing people to uh, just freely exercise when I didn't know that was like the norm of just what we used to do in school. We're talking with Karen England, the president of the Capital Resource Institute, which you can find at capitalresource.org. Also, what was the website? I don't want to say it wrong for people to go to a weird website, but porninschools.com. <laughs> is that correct? Yeah. Porninschools.com. Yes. And you can see some of this. That's just an easier one for people to remember. And we've got some of the books up there. We've also got our toolkit up there and um, you can reach us that way. Yeah. Talk about this toolkit. What's, uh, what's in this toolkit to help parents be prepared for this discussion if their kids start coming home and saying that they're reading these books or if you find out this book is in the school? Well, this is a toolkit to help the average parent first to kind of understand the issue. And I think an important thing to know is that 43 states have exempted themselves from obscenity laws for public schools, public libraries, and universities. And so what is considered or deemed obscene in one setting in these 43 states, it's no longer obscene if it's in a public school library or a public school classroom. Now, again, this year, several States were passing some laws, and, and we're still researching how that will affect it. But the majority of states allow for obscene materials in the classroom. And so that's the number one thing that you learn in the toolkit. And then you learn, how do I, how do I go challenge these books? Because they still can be challenged. But you have to be because there's um, First Amendment issues, which is why uh, Tennessee Drag Queen Story Hour got thrown out. Uh, because it, it violated the way it was written, the First Amendment. So you've got to be very careful when you go in and challenge these books, but they can be challenged. Yeah. And what's exciting, and we're just getting ready, we'll be releasing this, we've been working with some school districts in California, and the governor is so concerned that the governor, uh, the attorney general, and the superintendent of public schools sent out a letter saying you've got to be careful what you ban, but they admitted that you can ban things for vulgarity and obscenity. And that made our case. We're not trying to ban, you know, a bad word here and there. We are banning obscene, vulgar, pornographic material. Yeah, exactly. Karen, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. I'd love to continue this conversation. It's it's fascinating that we've gotten to this point. It's sad. It's scary that we've gotten to this point because there used to be a line, and I get artistic challenges to the social norm to make people think, but why are we making five-year-olds all the way up to 14, 15-year-olds think like this when they're not prepared for that conversation? Before, that used to be a college thing. Let's expand your mind. Let's make you challenge your thoughts and your foundation of what you are about, and you are prepared for something like that. These kids... Right at that developmental age, the most dangerous level that you can actually be at. We'll do some of that more when we come back here on The Voice Reason for a post-Monday celebration. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we're all about here on the program. Last few minutes of the show for a post-Monday celebration. We're just carpe dienisms all over the place. 
<laughs> Welcome back into it. We're hanging out with uh, Karen England. She's the president of the Capital Resource Institute as we talk about what's being taught in the public education system and how do we fight back on this. You can get your free toolkit. By the way, it is completely free if you go to capitalresource.org or porninschools.com. I know it sounds weird. It's not a bad site. Promise you, you can go there. You can download the toolkit and you can, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a guardian, whatever, you can start looking and seeing what's going on, what books are in the schools and why all of a sudden we're seeing these books that just came out of nowhere that are challenging our children at a very young age. I uh, uh, And Karen, I told you, I have a nine-year-old daughter where we have a book club that comes in every month and there's a few different ones. And one of them came in about a year ago and I had to take a double take because it was a shock, the fact that the book came in, and it was about the pink hat, if you know what I mean. And it was this pink hat that fell in the lap of this young girl, and she saw all these other great women out in the streets wearing this pink hat, and how great this pink hat was, and how it brought all these great women together. And I was dumbfounded. I, w- I thought that was taking it to a different level. And I was like, yeah, you're not going to read this book. That's good. That's okay. Yeah, it, uh, it it really is crazy. I would really encourage your listeners, usually, and our, our toolkit talks about this, but usually you can look up in most states and most school districts, you can go to the website of your local school district and you can start to look up books. So we've got some examples in our toolkit and you can go look them up and see if the books are in your local school. Again, most of the time, most states are doing that um, you know, right from your home. And so you can just start, hey, what are the top five books? And go look and see if any of those are are in your school. And then you can start to work to have them removed. Um, I, I also found it interesting. We have a school district in Northern California in a conservative area, and the parent um, did a public records request to find out about genderqueer. And when they sent the public records request back to the parent, they blacked out every other book. And I, I found that interesting. I thought, wow, I need to do a public records request because there are other books that this school didn't want this mom to know about. That's why they blacked them all out. And so, it's, it, you know, you start to uncover all sorts of things when you, you start kind of scratching the surface. Yeah, yeah, you just start tipping the iceberg and uh, everything starts mm-hmm. coming out. Do you see a generational difference between, let's say, teachers that are going on with this, with some of the older generations of teachers that have been in the system, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, uh, just kind of shaking their head saying, what's going on here from maybe some of the, I'm assuming some of the newer, younger generations of teachers, and not all of them by any means, but a lot of them that are pushing this sort of agenda. Is there kind of a generational line here? Yes, I would say it's probably at the 20-year mark, you know, if they've been teaching for 20 years or so, because our teaching colleges for the last 10, 15 years have been pretty progressive and have kind of sold a lot of these teachers on the idea that, you know, you've got to get in there and expose your ki- these kids to these other ideas that their parents are keeping from them. But the older teachers are frustrated. You know, I know a teacher that she's counting down. She's got seven years to retire. And she's afraid she's not going to be able to make it because things have gotten so crazy in the public schools. And it's like every year she's just happy to make it another year. Mm. And and it's just crazy. Well, it's then you crazy. Got... We're losing good teachers and we're, we're hiring progressive, very leftist teachers. And that's what, what our schools are left with. And I don't think COVID helped that situation any longer either where they were desperate. Many schools still still desperate to try and bring teachers in because so many retired after all the COVID pandemic garbage that we saw and they didn't want to deal with that either. 
Oh, absolutely. They, yeah, they, a lot of them did. And I know that, that we're, we're looking at, um, I don't know, I work in, right now I'm active in about four different states in different districts. And I think all of them have teacher shortages. All of them are having a hard time finding and keeping teachers. And that's a problem too, because then you lower your standards and you get the teachers that, that maybe you wouldn't want teaching in any classroom. <laughs> that's what we're seeing here in the Wichita, Kansas area, especially we're seeing stories on that all the time. Desperate to bring in teachers and trying to lower those standards on what they say qualify as they did. Not saying the teachers are bad, but saying that they are working to lower those standards just to fill those gaps. Karen England, it's capitalresource.org, also porninschools.com. Get your free toolkit. Figure out what's going on. Karen, we appreciate the time very, very much, my friend. Let's do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate the time very much. There it is. Something to gnaw on for the rest of the day today. The agenda is we talk about that socialist takeover. Not to be that fear monger, but man, there's some type of takeover centralization going on. And it's not the most commonsensical one out there. So let's do what we can to push back on that one. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow. Be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.